Thank you. So I want to not forget to, to tell you, uh, we will not meet next Thursday because uh, Beth and I are going to Fort Wayne for the graduation and alumni uh, reunion activities at the seminary. Uh, we will not meet the week after that either because I will be in St. Louis um, assisting Christine Bruss and the Board for International Mission in the joint work of the Board for National and International Mission. Uh, we will meet then Jan uh, June 2nd and 9th. So after, uh, after today, we'll meet June 2nd and 9th. And then um, between symposium and um, other engagements, we will then take the rest of June and July off. But I intend to come back uh, in August sometime, so watch the bulletin for that. Because between, I'm on vacation some in July. Um, last two weeks I have a speaking engagement out in Nebraska and uh, these other activities. So after today, June 2nd and 9th, and then we'll come back together in August. Okay? Is that... Becky did with that? Okay. Good. And then um, some of you were in the first service on uh, Sunday, and, um, you know, we like to have adventures from time to time. So... Uh, Kent Franklin had a little bit of an episode and then was carted off in an ambulance. Do you want to give us a, just a brief update so people understand? All right, so in a nutshell, Kent has vasovagal syncope, I think that's how they say it. And all it is, it's a little different than normal fainting, but your blood all of a sudden leaves your brain and pools in your stomach and your, your legs. And there's usually no warning. It always happens at night. This is the first time it happened in public, so it kind of threw us off a little bit. Um, if that ever happens and you know somebody that's happening, he really needed to lay down horizontally, and I didn't think to make him lay down quick enough. So he just passed out. They usually go unconscious. That's kind of normal. Um, but this was the most normal one that he had. But when he woke up and we were saying, are you okay, you know, stuff like that, you should have said, back down you go, because they really need to be horizontally about 15 minutes to 30 minutes, from what I'm learning in administration. <laughs> but it looks worse than it is. He does have low blood pressure. He's going to live forever. He's been blood. But it's a normal, it's normal to have lower blood pressure, and I think that's what the paramedics were worried about. But if they could have just let him lay horizontally and not put him in a cart that was vertical, that was where they went wrong a little bit. He should have just laid there, and I think he would have been just fine. This has happened probably eight times now since we've been married. So, so that happens again. Just ignore us. I'm going to let him lay flat, and he should come out of it okay. Some of you may remember my uh, father-in-law had some fainting uh, spells. Always during Sunday morning, it seemed like, 7.45 service. And uh, it was a result, it turned out to be a result of medication 
that then was changed, so then he was fine, but uh, some of you may also remember one time it happened at after com at receiving communion, he laid down on the floor and I just told everybody, he's fine, everything will be okay. <laughs> so then people walked by him. <laughs> And he was okay, and, and so, but you know, they have to uh, do their due diligence. He even, the, the funniest story, I think, just think it's so funny, he doesn't think it's funny, but I think it's funny. <laughs> In Texas, it was Texas, wasn't it? It was Texas. Yeah. Uh, he's out on a fishing boat, you know, one of these charters, out at 30 miles or so in the Gulf of Mexico, you know, and he has one of these episodes. So he's, he's down kind of on the ground, and and just leave me alone, just leave me alone. Well, they're not gonna leave him alone. So they call the Coast Guard, and then they airlift him in one of these baskets. So he's got, he's got vertigo anyhow, so the basket's doing Now, I just find that extremely funny. But anyway, he did not. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So um, finally, as we get as we get prepared for uh, prayer here. Um, oh, I, I would like you. I mean, I'd like as many people in the congregation to set aside Father's Day afternoon to come to the ordination and installation of Pastor Christensen. So it's that's Father's Day, June nineteenth, three o'clock in the afternoon. I think we'll be having a potluck type of uh, dinner afterwards, okay? But just set aside that date, okay? And then finally, um, uh, Alex Karras, just to give you a bit of an update. This, you know, people have open heart surgeries uh, all of the time routinely for things like bypass operations. Um, he was suffering from both an ascending and descending aortic aneurysms that required this first surgery was to reconstruct the ascending aortic aneurysm. They did that surgery on Monday, I believe it was around eight hours in length, leaving his chest open um, to watch for, for bleeding and other issues and so forth then um, they needed to do an exploratory surgery the next morning in his gut uh, because of issues there. Uh, because of the reduced blood flow in the lower extremities, it puts organs at risk and so forth. So after that exploratory surgery, they put him on a machine that is like a, it's sort of like a heart and lung machine that oxygenates the blood to make sure he's getting oxygen to those organs, and he is on that now, and then they did a third surgery, and they did remove part of his colon. So um, he's in grave uh, condition, and because his kidneys don't function, he's on dialysis on a continuous basis. So he's got a number of, uh, you know, multiple comorbidities. So keep him in your uh, prayers, and then... Um, uh, I mean, there have been some good signs over the last 24 hours, but it's 
long road, but now so his chest and his gut is open for perhaps a week or two before they close that up. So, all right. Um, <clears throat> so our psalm for the week is number 66. We'll pray the psalm responsibly by half verse. In the congregation at prayer, um, do you have a, a hymnal there, uh, Bob? Here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to set you up. All right, here we go. Here we go. So Psalm 66 will pray responsively by half verse. We'll use the, um, the congregation at prayer. Romans 3.28 as the antiphon. And then our hymn is 482, this joyful Eastertide. Okay? You're welcome. Did I miss any other announcement that needs to be made? I don't, Sherry, did you hear that? Um, we'll meet June 2nd and 9th, and then we're done. Did you? I didn't know if you, because I hadn't reported that to you yet. Okay. Alleluia, Christ is risen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. A man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds for the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard who has kept our soul among the living, and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you. 
that which my lips uttered. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Come and hear, all you who fear God. And I will tell what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth. And high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God. Because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. A man is justified by faith, apart from the deeds of the law. Thanks and praise be to you, O God of all grace, because you have delivered our souls from the bondage of Satan and have saved us through the Red Sea of the blood of your Son. Cleanse us evermore with his blood, that with all your saints we may continually praise you through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. From the table of duties, what does God's word say to workers of all kinds? Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. Heavenly Father, your Son became a slave for us to redeem us from all sin. He worked for our salvation, though we did not deserve it, and he submitted to your will with all his heart. Forgive us all dishonor and disrespect toward our earthly masters and grant us the grace of your Son that we might serve in our life's work with faithfulness toward you and in love and obedience for those we are called to serve. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you for hearing our prayers and granting us a candidate for the office of the ministry and headmaster of our congregation in seminary in Brennick Christensen. Bless and protect him and his family. Bring his studies to a successful completion. And bless his ministry here in this place among us. To the glory of God, to the extension of your kingdom, and for the sake of his people. Bless those celebrating baptismal birthdays. Sharon, Christine, David, Pat, Peter, Hannah, Wolf, and Gabrielle. That preserved steadfast in the word and spirit of Christ, they may be faithful unto death. We thank you for sustaining Jim and Kathy Miller and Doug and Pat Palm throughout the days of their married life. Continue to grant them your blessing that they may be faithful to each other unto death. We commend to you all of the sick of our congregation, Pastor Gelbach, Gene Schultz, Pastor Canopy, Jim Weber, John Paul Biney, Amy Bruss, James Loker, Josiah Berenger, Del Dewey, Todd Frederick, 
those in hospice care, Cliff Evans, Nancy Thiele, Cap Elke, and especially our brother Alex Karras, comfort all of them, grant peace to their families, to commend their loved ones to you, to wait upon you in vigil, knowing that you will work in all things for our good to those who love you. Give comfort to Pam Kirk and the entire family of Beverly Watson who mourn Beverly's death with the promise of the resurrection and the hope of eternal life. And in these difficult and tumultuous times of our age, <coughs> grant us peace and steadfastness to walk through this little while of uncertainty and suffering with eyes fixed upon Christ and the certainty of salvation in Him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Again, let us pray. Almighty God, you show those in error the light of your truth so that they may return to the way of righteousness. Grant faithfulness to all who are admitted into the fellowship of Christ's church, that they may avoid whatever is contrary to their confession and follow all such things as are pleasing to you. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Taught by our Lord and trusting his promises, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. This joyful Easter tide, hymn 482. This joyful Easter tide, away with sin, sorrow. My love, the crucified, has sprung to life this morrow. Had Christ who once was slain not burst his three-day prison, had been in vain. But now as Christ arisen, risen, risen, but as Christ arisen, Death's flood has lost its chill since Jesus crossed the river. Lover of souls from ill, my passing soul deliver. Had Christ who once was slain not burst his three-day prison, our faith had been in vain. But now has Christ arisen, 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 but 
as Christ our risen. My flesh in hope and for a season slumber, till trump from east to west shall wake the dead in number. At Christ who once was slain, not first his three-day prison, our faith had been in vain, but now has Christ arisen, 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 but has Christ arisen. Now before leaving this hymn, just to explain a few things or clarify them, you know, in stanza two, death's flood has lost its chill since Jesus crossed the river. Um, baptism joins us to the death and resurrection of Christ. So in baptism, there's a dying and there's a rising. And if you look at the great water stories that we mentioned uh, last time around, the Red Sea, death to the Egyptians, life through the water for of the children of Israel, the great flood, death to the wicked world, life uh, and new, new life for Noah and his family. Um, then there's the crossing of the Jordan, where after the children of Israel were baptized into Moses and in the cloud and in the sea, their 40 years of wilderness wandering, then they passed through the Jordan to the promised land. That's Partly what this is talking about here. Death's flood has lost its chill for us. Since Jesus crossed the river, we can cross the River Jordan too. Okay? Did you have any hymns in your uh, former life, Verla, about crossing the Jordan? I, I didn't. <laughs> Michael rowed ashore. Down by the riverside, down by, what's that? Yes, anyway, it, it refers to, the River Jordan refers to passing from death into eternal life, okay? So death's flood has lost its chill since Jesus crossed the river, so we don't fear death. Uh, chill, and we think about, you know, hell, suffering, fire, torment, but cold, is also another one here, the chill of, of being separated from God, the chill of death and so forth. Okay. Then the other thing I wanted to mention to you is in verse 3, my flesh in hope shall rest and for a season slumber till Trump from east to west. That does not refer to the former president in case some of you were wondering. <laughs> What's that? It's not capitalized, right? Trump from east to west. It refers to a trumpet, shortened form of trumpet. The trumpet shall sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Okay, so just a few comments there. Okay, uh, Matthew uh, chapter 8, and then into 9 today. After the Sermon on the Mount, we have discussed how 
Jesus uh, came down from the mountain and we, we see his ministry, what, uh, what building in each city and village did uh, Jesus' ministry revolve around? The synagogue, where the Torah, the books of Moses, and the Old Testament prophets were read. So you cannot devalue or underestimate the centrality of the preaching ministry of Jesus. And then the miracles that surrounded that preaching ministry, from the cleansing of the leper to the Gentile centurion servant being uh, healed, to Peter's mother-in-law and many healed where he took upon himself all sicknesses and infirmities, shows him and his ministry to be the prophet like Moses, only greater. Remember, hear him. Him you shall hear. A prophet speaks forth the word of God. So he's made to look like uh, the prophet only greater than Moses and his word gives life. And we see that in his ministry. He talked about the cost of discipleship, the humiliation and, uh, and degradation that he would endure. And those who say, I'll follow you wherever you go. They're saying that in part because of the great comfort that they receive from Jesus. However, he gives the sober picture. If you follow me, remember the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And um, so what happens to Jesus happens to his disciples and to his ministers who follow him. So what we talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, the mystical union joined with Christ, we see in the Sermon on the Mount Christology, but also ecclesiology, what the body of Christ suffers. We see in these chapters 8 and 9 what we say so readily, but sometimes take for granted and don't pause to think about. Jesus gave us victory over sin, death, and the power of the devil. We actually see that in all of chapters 8 and 9 in that ministry. And then it sets, at the end of chapter 9, it sets up the second discourse. So it's my aim to get into the second discourse today so that we can look at that second discourse on June 2nd and, and 9th, which is a great discourse to look at on the threshold of uh, the ordination of a pastor here in our congregation. Okay? So that's what the, the second discourse is about, the ministry. All right. Um, so now we go into uh, chapter 9, uh, verse 9. Uh, remember the aversion at the end of chapter 8 when he, when he delivered those demon-possessed men? What a great thing. But the people... Uh, from over here in the Decapolis, you know, uh, the, the, the area of the Gergesenes, uh, the Gadarene demoniacs, get away from here, okay? And um, that's the reaction of unbelief, rejection of the gospel of God's grace. So Herod and the people of Jerusalem, we saw at the beginning, when the wise men came, we've come to worship him. And all they're troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, they're troubled because of impenitence, unbelief. 
okay? And then their sin haunts them. Get out of here, okay? So you're either with Jesus or you're against Jesus, okay? So they want him to go away. And now when we go into chapter 9, we're going to see that same kind of unbelief in objecting to Jesus forgiving sin. And they accuse him of the sin of blasphemy, which is taking authority that rightly belongs to God that you have no right to to yourself. Or blasphemy is to claim to be God, you know, or exercising godly authority that you have no right to. All right. So, he got into a boat and crossed over and came to his own city. So he's coming over here. It was usually uh, Bethsaida and then Capernaum, which were home bases for Jesus and the disciples. And behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, Who was their faith in? It was in Jesus. So seeing their faith in him, said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. So if he proclaims forgiveness to this man, when this man was brought to Jesus, was sin one of his problems? When this man, who is a paralytic, was brought to Jesus, was paralysis one of his problems? Yes. Which problem was greater? Sin. The problem with sin. But that's never what we think. We think all of the other problems are greater. Not only is sin the greater problem, but here's the key. Sin is the cause of what? of all other problems. If you understand that, then every physical infirmity that, to which and for which Jesus brought healing in his ministry is illustrative of the effect of sin upon a person's life. The physical infirmity is a real physical infirmity, but it also is parallel to the spiritual infirmity. You follow? So if you're, if you're a paralytic, you can't what? Walk. You can't walk. If you're a quadriplegic, quadriplegic, you not only can't walk, you can't move your arms either. Is that not a description, spiritually, of what sin does? It paralyzes us. Think of St. Paul. You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. You can't get any more powerless than being dead. Think of the catechism. I can't, by my own reason or strength, believe. That's describing a paralyzed condition. Or the fifth petition explanation in the small catechism, forgive us our trespasses. I daily sin much and surely deserve nothing but punishment. So when Jesus says, son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven, he addresses the biggest problem, and not only the biggest problem, but the remedy for all other problems. Okay? 
But they accuse him of blasphemy because he did what? He forgave sin. The man still is lying there paralyzed. By the way, let that be a lesson to you also. Those of you who want a faith healer as a pastor, I can forgive your sins, but the healing of your body ultimately will have to wait till the resurrection. All of the healing miracles of Jesus are signs of his authority to forgive and save and preludes to the resurrection. Because remember, every paralyzed man who is healed, every leper that was healed in Jesus' ministry, every blind man for whom sight was restored, or deaf, mute, who began to hear and speak, still what? Died. Every single one of them. Even Oral Roberts has assumed room temperature. Isn't that true? He is dead, isn't he? He was a friend of yours, wasn't he? Uh, okay. okay. So, so that's, that's why the apostles call these miracles signs. Okay? They really happened. But they are signs of the power of Christ to forgive sins, and they are signs of the future resurrection where we will be restored whole once and for all. Cindy? You're changing your mind? All right, good. You want a faith healer as a... Yes, see, and this also corresponds to the prosperity gospel. Come to Pastor Bender's church, and uh, you will conquer inflation. Correct, because this is why I asked, in whom was their faith? It was in Christ. And they wanted him to hear the Lord's word. Okay? And as long as we're on this side of the grave, subject to sin, even the most pious among us, who are the most pious in the room? Raise your hand. Even the most pious among us will still be tempted to the covetousness and idolatry of the flesh. Okay? So Jesus feeds the 5,000. Aha, this is a great deal. I'll never have to work again. My refrigerator will always be full. See, it, he becomes a genie in the bottle, a, a means to an end. And this healing of the paralytic now, notice it is in the center of this interlude between the first discourse and the cent, uh, central discourse. And it really does interpret all of the other Miraculous signs that both preceded and and followed. Pastor, one more comment about that. Okay, speak up. So, what Christ gives us, if we look past our sinful self, what Christ gives us is the strength to live on this side of heaven in our infirmities. In our infirmities. Yes, because, and, and so um, your words take us to uh, Paul 
seeking release from this thorn in the flesh, and he says, my grace is sufficient for you, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. John? If you want an uplifting experience, visit uh, Dr. Cap Elke. Oh. Uh, if you want an uplifting experience. Cap Elke, yeah, he's, he's, dying he's dying of cancer. He's in hospice care in West Allis. Oh, yeah, Susan. So the story could end at verse 2. The story could end at verse 2. That's uh, the important part. That's, that's the important part. Not only could the story end at verse 2, son, be of good cheer, your sins. What more do you need? Mark, what more do you need? Okay, your sins are forgiven. But it's precisely this that they object to. Yes, Doreen. We're not going to get further. But that's fine. That's totally fine. Yes. Yes, John chapter 9. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither they nor, nor he sinned. That, does that mean they didn't sin? No. No. It just doesn't mean that there's not some direct cause and effect. Now, if you do something stupid, like if you go tie one on, get drunk, and then get in your car and wrap yourself around the tree, who sinned? Well, you did. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but, uh, so... Remember to distinguish between the fallen condition, which is the source of all maladies, uh, and cause and effect maladies. Okay, there are things that we do that are indeed causing our physical health. You know, if I if I if I eat and drink indiscriminately and turn into a four hundred and fifty pound, that's my that's my fault. Okay, but um, yes, John? The oldest book of the Bible, Job, is written around this entire question. And it's, inter it's always interesting to me that it opens up with a, with a scene in heaven. Things we don't know that are taking place which result in certain activities on earth which we can't interpret correctly without God's yeah. telling us what happened. And Job later on, after Job suffered all of this. This, this is why I, maybe you get tired of hearing it, but why I try to teach and preach that all human suffering has to be interpreted through the lens of the cross. Otherwise, we will despair. Okay? So, and, and why uh, Matthew does what he does in quoting Isaiah 53 and amplifying it in verse chapter 8 verse 17, you know, he himself took up our infirmities and carried our sicknesses so that we interpret all suffering in light of Christ who in his incarnation and suffering took all infirmities to himself to redeem us. And out of that came great good, namely the forgiveness of sins and the grace of God. And our life in this world, Cindy is correct, becomes a time of, in which we are tutored by the gospel and the spirit of God to live by faith in Christ. Once we die and the sinful nature is fully eradicated, uh, then we can enjoy the good life without making 
it the source of idolatry. Okay. All right. Now then, I have a tickle. <laughs> All right. So, son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. Look, we've gotten two verses so far. Okay. Verse 3. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemes. Now, they're saying it within themselves because they're cowards and they don't have the uh, gumption to say it to his face. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise and walk? Now we're going to come back to this question that he asks. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go your, to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. So according to verse 8, why did he cause the crippled man to walk? For what purpose? According to verse 8. Uh, according to verse 6, sorry. So that they would know the Son of Man has power on earth. So that they would know that the Son of Man has power on earth to do what? Forgive sins. To forgive sins. That's the reason he healed him. Let that sink in. All of his miracles are like that. They are visible manifestations of the greater gift of forgiveness, life, and salvation from God, which I have regardless of what I am suffering with or suffering under. Again, going back to this guy died. This guy is awaiting the resurrection, even though for a time the cripple walked. Cindy? You live by faith in his grace, and then that manifests itself in your vocation. All right, so I said uh, we'll come back to these questions, but please understand, why did he make the crippled walk that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins? Susan. I think I'm hearing you say that he didn't heal the man. This sounds callous, but he didn't heal the man to make the man better. He didn't heal the man to make the man better. That was just incidental to, it, to, a, to a certain degree, yes. I mean, it is not incidental in terms of what his ultimate purpose is, okay? Because his ultimate purpose is to restore the creation. So I don't have to wear glasses again. So I don't get bald. But see, we, 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 as long as we're still in the flesh with our old Adam, we're going to make gods with a small g out of all of those things. Remember the hymn we sang on Sunday, Lord, thee I love with all my heart. I pray thee ne'er from me depart with tender mercy, cheer me. And then this phrase, earth has no pleasure I would share. Yea, heaven itself were void and bare, empty, if thou, Lord, were not near me. So you see, that's why I asked at the beginning, not what was his faith, because if I had asked that faith, if I had asked that question, in what was his faith, 
you would have said that Jesus would heal him. Wouldn't you have? But I asked, in whom was his faith? There's a huge difference. So we do, do we believe in Jesus for what, uh, you know, presents we're going to get? Job teaches us otherwise, doesn't he? All right, strip me of everything. Life itself, family, property, honor, possessions. His wife said, curse God and die. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives. His friends came to comfort him, and instead of that, they poured salt in his womb. Man, you must really be a sinner, John Trapp. Okay? All right, so, so now come back here. They're objecting to his use of a power that they do not believe he has the, the right to use, namely, the power of God to forgive sins. And so he demonstrates he has the power of God to forgive sins by healing the paralytic. But now go back to what he said before this. In verse 4, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you, or to say arise and walk? Now, those two alternatives often serve as a subject for great discussion. Well, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven, or is it easier to say rise up and walk? Well, I think it's easier to say this, but it's a lot harder to say that. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven, but it's a lot harder to say rise up and walk. You miss the entire point. Because Jesus is talking about performative speech. It would be like this. Which is easier to say, let there be light, or to say to all of the animals, be fruitful and multiply? We don't have the power to say either. When God said, let there be light, by his word, he created light out of darkness. And what's great about Genesis 1 is he didn't need the sun and the moon and the stars to do it. So what Jesus is talking about is performative speech. Do you have the power to perform with your words, let there be light, or with your words to cause the animals to be able to copulate and have little baby animals. I don't have the power to do either one. That's the answer. We don't have the power to do either. Now, in the case of what Jesus did, your sins are forgiven, you can't see anything with your eyes. That doesn't mean it isn't real. It doesn't mean it isn't the power of God at work. But if a crippled man whom you can see rises up and walk, there you can see that. So that's What's different here, the one you can't see, the other you can, but you can't do by your words either one of them unless God gives you that authority. Remember what I said early, I have the power to forgive your sins. I have that authority. I don't have the authority to cause you to rise up and walk if you're crippled. At least not until the resurrection when that word of forgiveness bears its fruit. Okay? So the answer to the question is we can't do either one. And then Jesus says that you may know that I have the greater power to forgive sins. He says, rise up and walk. And that became the physical manifestation, the miracle of the healing of paralysis, 
that he had the authority to forgive sins. So he arose and departed to his house. Why did the man arise and depart to his own house? Because Jesus said so. That's right. Why do we eat and drink the body and blood of Christ? Because he says, take and eat. I want you to be as simple as that about this. Okay? Now look at verse 8. When the multitudes saw it, the man who was crippled arise and walk back to his house. They marveled and glorified God who had given such power. What power? The power to forgive sins to men. Now notice in verse 8, Matthew rightly transcribes this, interprets this, writes this down. In the singular or in the plural? The plural. He had given such power to men. He wants us to understand that the power to forgive sins does not reside only with Jesus, but with those whom Jesus has given that authority. We call that the office of the ministry, the office of the keys, or Christians in their vocation. The priesthood of all believers as the Christian, if, if, if John forgives Kay, that's why he's, she's not here this morning because he needs to do that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but if John forgives Kay for Jesus' sake, that is, he has the authority to do that as her, as her husband and as a Christian. Okay? So, but the, the men is in the plural, and that's really um, significant. As it then begins to pave the way for now the calling of Matthew, the tax collector, who is a sinner. I mean, you'd agree with that, right, Bob? You know, tax collectors are sinners, yeah. <laughs> uh, and he will not only be a disciple of Jesus, but he will be a proclaimer of the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. John, did you have a... You got that? These together... Jesus didn't say, just so that you may know that I have the power to forgive sins. He used the expression from Ezekiel that the Son of Man, the Son of Man. has mm-hmm. the power to forgive sins. And then following that, that God has given that power to, to men. Yeah. yeah. So, Susan. The Pharisees objected to him saying, your sins are forgiven. Did the, the scribes, okay. verse um, 3. Did, I mean, the Pharisees did too, but... It, so, did, did it ever say in the Old Testament where a person forgave sin? Like, it, it was the, the um, ironic benediction was the Lord bless you and keep you, or, or the Lord is our righteousness, or... Or when Nathan went to David, it was... The Lord Lord has has put put away your sin. Mm -hmm. Was there anything in the... Um, I don't believe so. I I don't believe so. Uh, What Susan is referring to is the pattern of speech in the Old Testament. You know, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord and Moses, I will pray for you. Perhaps the Lord will forgive you and so forth. Uh, There is the promise in the prophets, you know, of... He will make the uh, 
the, the lame walk and, and so forth, that the Messiah will do that. So part of what he is doing, and then in that day, no longer will they say, know the Lord in Jeremiah. They'll all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. So you're right, that direct um, I forgive you, like the indicative operative absolution, it's, it's, it's mediated through those types of passages. The Lord do this for you, the Lord do that. Now you have Jesus, the Lord, doing it. Yes, that's right. And so what that in part is doing is ushering in the messianic era. You know, Are you the coming one or do we look for another? That'll be in Matthew chapter 11, right after the second discourse. John's disciples, you know, are you the coming one or do we look for another? And then go and tell John what you hear and see. Go and tell John what you hear and see. You know, the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear. And the poor have the gospel so preached to them. It's the, the pastors in the Messianic era yep. are more apostles than priests. That's right. They are much more apostles than priests. In personae Christi, in the person of Christ, I forgive you all your sins. And even when we, you know, the pastor says, take, eat, this is my body. Yeah, that's Jesus speaking. He doesn't say, take, eat, this is Jesus' body. Okay, that's pretty dr dramatic mm -hmm. stuff. John. So <clears throat> the scribes and Pharisees' understanding of forgiveness was limited to the sacrifice of an animal on the altar? Was that it? Well, to a, to a degree, but they're, they're talking about only God can forgive sins. And so the examples that Susan mentioned, you know, the Lord bless you, instead of I bless you or I forgive you that the pastor would say or the priest would say. So that's why I called it a mediated forgiveness, a mediated grace. Only God can do that. And so they are reflecting that kind of an understanding, even though what the... So, when they reject him for giving, for giving sin, they're rejecting him being the Messiah. Okay? Because in the prophets, it is clear the Messiah does it. The Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. And not only that, he extends that authority to his under-shepherds. Sue. Um, how shall I answer that? Um, he was sick with our sin and corruption. So we see that manifest then in his passion. That's where it comes out. That's where the zit pops and the pus comes out. He sweats, as it were, great drops of blood. We see him suffering the very real physical and emotional and spiritual anguish and torment. His body is scourged. And think of the scourging of Jesus' body in a number of ways. The judgment of God's law, which he suffers. He's beaten. He's punished the judgment of God's laws against him, Satan's attacks 
He's the man who has become sin, therefore he must die. So Satan is a test. So um, I think you look at it that way. We don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, Hebrews says, but one who was uh, put to the test, tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Uh, so he bore our sicknesses and infirmities, and the manifestation of that comes out in his passion. That's what I'd like to say. Yep. But he never got the measles or the flu. Well, we have no record of that. Right. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it, he's like um, bounty, the quicker picker-upper. He absorbs all to ourselves, and then he pays the ultimate bounty. Yeah, hey, that would be, those are the kind of sermons I don't preach, so you can see. Because they're groaners, you know, okay. All right, well, those are all good questions. Okay, verse 9, then as Jesus passed from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. We also know this man, Matthew, as Levi. But instead of, what were the Levites uh, called to? Priestly class. Well, not necessarily were they all priests. No. But John? Yes, there's a characteristic of priests that would be uh, in contrast that if you, were, if you were a tax collector, you were commonly very, very, very rich. Rich. Levites were called to have no property. Okay? So his calling as someone from the tribe of Levi was shunned in favor of the opulent life. Make Israel great again. No, I just... See, we can... Huh? He was make Rome, making Rome great again, yeah. All right. What's that? And he wrote this, and he wrote this gospel. Okay. So he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. Now, I find this just... There's no other account prior to this that I'm aware of of Matthew's encounter with Jesus, though there often isn't, because a lot of people hear his preaching. Even the paralytic and his friends were likely from those synagogues. They heard the comforting word of the gospel, and that's why they believed in him, and they brought Jesus to him. But what I do want you to see here is simply the call of the gospel, without any particular preparation on Matthew's part. Follow me. And he does. And, it was at, and so it was, as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. So when he said, follow me, and he did, immediately Matthew receives him into his house and throws a dinner party for him. And who does Matthew invite? All of the people that you wouldn't invite. 
the fellow tax collectors, that is to say, fellow sinners. And he sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, again, they are such cowards. They don't confront Jesus directly. They go behind his back. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. So here in verse 12, what does sickness refer to? Sin. Is there anyone who is truly well? Only, yeah, well, only, only like those like the paralytic who was just healed, wasn't he? But what he was healed of was his sin. So the physician came to him and said, Son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven. So when he says those who are well have no need of a physician, does he mean to imply that the Pharisees have no sin, sickness of sin, therefore they don't need him? No. But... If you don't know that you're a sinner who needs Jesus, then you have no use for Jesus. That's the point here. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I told the story in this class last, did I tell it? About the Door County movie about... I told it in here, didn't I? The 500th anniversary of the Reformation in 2017... And the Elka pastor was leading a brief discussion in the public theater prior to showing the film. I told you that, didn't I? And then he was asking all these questions, and I was answering these questions. (laughs) What do you do for a living? And I said, I'm a physician. (laughs) So I was in blue jeans. I didn't want to let the cat out of the bag. Then afterwards, what is your specialty? The heart. (laughs) Is that lying? Jesus pretended, so I can pretend. Okay, but go learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Now, where is that from? It is from Hosea, chapter 6. And I'd like you to just look at that. Now, Hosea is toward the end of the Old Testament. We're going to come back to Matthew, so don't close your chapter 9. Hosea chapter 6. Verse 6. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Now, I want you to see the context of this passage, uh, chapter. First of all, you remember Hosea. He was called to marry a prostitute. What a, you know, you've got to play the hand you're dealt. <laughs> and he's called to marry a prostitute, and she didn't want to remain faithful to him and cavorted around and so forth, and then he finally had to buy her back, redeem her, from the slave trader's block. It's a great picture of how Christ came to be a Hosea to 
redeem us harlots from the slave trader's block. But the, the story of Hosea is a metaphor then. Does anybody have a page for this? For some, in the, in 1043? Yeah, in that Pew Bible, 1043? All right. So Hosea then as a book becomes a metaphor for Judah, who is playing the harlot. Her husband is the Lord who has redeemed her. But still, she goes astray. Chapter 6, verse 1, Come and let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up. What a fantastic passage linking the call to repentance and renewal in the absolution to the death of Christ and the absolution that brings about resurrection. It's pointing forward to what happened to Christ's uh, death and resurrection. Okay. Let us know. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. What does the rain give and produce and nurture? Life. So when Jesus tells the Pharisees, go learn this passage. Go back to Hosea, you moronic idiots. That's how I would say it, but he wouldn't do that. And learn the call to repentance. Look at the state of Judah. You claim to be so gosh-awful righteous and pious, and you're not. In fact, your greatest sin is the idolatry of your own works. A man is justified by faith in Christ apart from the deeds of the law. Just look at your history. But they had no need for a Savior who was the forgiver of sins. O Ephraim, what shall I do to you? Verse 4. O Judah, what shall I do to you? For your faithfulness is like a morning cloud. What happens to it? Like the early dew, it goes away. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. That's, again, the ministry of the word to call one to repentance, to see how sick you really are. And your judgments are like the light that goes forth. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offering. His expression, I desire mercy, means this. I desire to show mercy. Now, to be sure... The church and her ministers should desire more than anything else to show mercy. But when Jesus says, go learn what this means, I desire mercy, it is as if he were saying, go learn what this means. I, the Lord, desire to be merciful. And you don't understand mercy. You don't understand the grace of God. That's what he's talking about. Do you you follow that? And that's what they object to, is his mercy. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Susan? Hosea got that from David's psalm. Hosea got that from David's psalm. You are always bringing up these connections as if the Bible matters. Sorry. Yeah, good. Will you give me the psalm? That's great. Because there's a continuity here. It makes the point. Yeah. Yep. You, you do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. 
a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. And that's what everybody was sitting at table in Matthew's house. They were brought to repentance and faith, and so he ate with them. That's why the call to repentance and faith is the necessary prelude to the Lord's Supper. Yes? Hanging out with scumbugs. Hanging out with scumbugs. The point is not that... Not that you're embracing the scumbubbery. But but it's not that the good people are hanging out with the scumbugs. It's that the scumbugs who don't know they're scumbugs are who they're hanging out with. And whether or not they know who they are and whether they accept, you know, the low lives because they're so good. what, what, What the Pharisees objected to is... If you are a sinner, then you are disqualified from being with God. We are not disqualified for being with God because we are not sinners. sinners, Or if we have some minor failings, we are able to fix them and correct them, for which God then is going to pat us on the back. That's the Pharisees' theology. Okay? So, I I got lost in the scumbubbery, but, but do not think for a minute that Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners is the endorsement of their sin in no way. Those who eat with him are are those called to repentance. But the salvation comes not from their works, but from his mercy. To the broken and contrite heart, which he will not despise. David said that a thousand years before Jesus ate with Matthew and his fellow sinners. Okay? All right, uh, verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often? but your disciples do not fast. Now, notice we've had the scribes in the account of the healing of the paralytic. Then we've had the Pharisees. Now, those are two unbelieving groups. Now we have John's disciples, John the Baptist, and they're a bit confused. Now, fasting was associated with what? Penitence. Yeah, repentance, penitence. Whereas feasting was associated with, what's that, Bonnie? Forgiveness. Yeah, forgiveness. I mean, to rejoice. So this is the feast of victory for our God. So John the Baptist's disciples are fasting because he was the minister of repentance. Not to be confused with the minister of defense, you Packer fan. The minister of repentance, preparing the way for the Lord so that when he comes, when the Lord comes, what do we do? And we, we, we feast and we rejoice. So why do, you, do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Now, the disciples of John fast as a sign of repentance. The Pharisees fasted, same activity, but for what reason? Show off, that's right. This is my good work. I'm meriting God's grace. And Jesus said to them, 
Can the friends of the bridegroom or the sons of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? I mean, is that what, is that what they do? Well, maybe, maybe some, maybe John, maybe your groomsmen uh, mourned, you know, for you when you were about to get married to Marty. And, oh, the poor guy, what is it? All the fun we used to have, and now you're, now you're enslaved and shackled. No, the, the, <laughs> the point here is that when the marriage day comes, it's a time of rejoicing. If it isn't, then we got some problems. Okay. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Okay, and so, you know, the bridegroom has come. The messianic era has dawned. Jesus is uh, among them. He is forgiving sin and uh, proclaiming the year of the Lord's jubilee, uh, which is release from captivity. Remember those, every seven years, the year of jubilee was a time of... Re- you didn't fast during then. But... Then, after his ascension and resurrection, resurrection and ascension, in the latter days, we will fast. We will also rejoice, but we will also fast because of the suffering, because of the persecution, because of the call to repentance. But we will rejoice because of the new life promised us. So there's this interplay back and forth from now until the second coming of Christ of both fasting and rejoicing, depending upon the circumstance. Now he says some interesting things, but I'm going to take Susan's question next before 16 and 17. Go, shoot. I, I just think that it, they, when the bridegroom is taken away, they will fast. That would be, they, they got some nutrition on Holy Thursday, and then they probably didn't. I, I don't think they ate until Easter night. I think you're exactly correct. Verse 16. But that little while, you know, we heard about on Sunday, the little while, which specifically refers to from his arrest on Thursday night to his resurrection on Easter, that little while, specifically referring to that time, paradigmatically refers to the little while of the suffering of the bride of Christ, the church, in which fasting is is a part. All right. Now, verse 16 and 17. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch pulls away from the old garment, and the tear is made worse. Now that's, you can understand that, right? Okay, you want to wash the fabric first before you sew the patches on. Would you agree with that? Yes. Okay, you're the seamstress among us. Nor do people put new wine into old wineskins. I have a story about that, but it's off color and I cannot tell you. (laughs) Don't you hate that when I do that? Yes, I do. (laughs) Or else the wineskin breaks, bursts, the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. Okay, 16 and 17 are talking about the same thing. Now, like we did in Bible class when you were in college or whatever. What does this mean to you? What do you think this is about? All right. To answer this question, 
A lot of people, a lot of times we read the Gospels as if what a verse that we're in right now, like 16 and 17, has absolutely nothing to do with anything that's preceded it. That's not true. The scribes, the Pharisees, and then to a certain degree, the confusion of the disciples of John was based upon an old and faulty theology. Remember, the Old Testament did not teach salvation by works. But did the, did the scribes teach salvation by works? Did the Pharisees? Yes. So that old theology does not mix with the new covenant in the blood of Christ. When you have new in the scriptures, this cup is the new testament in my blood. Okay. Uh, now, according to the old covenant, if you could keep the law, you could save yourself. Okay, great. What's the problem? Can't you couldn't keep, the, keep law. the law. The scribes and the Pharisees thought they could. You cannot put the new wine of salvation by the mercy of God, by the grace of God, into the old wineskins of that works righteous theology. You can't put the new fabric on the old garment, which is tattered and torn. It could not accomplish what its purpose is. Okay? The two are incompatible, that old way of thinking. Now, again, the caveat here is the Old Testament never taught that salvation was by works. But boy, oh boy, many thought that it did. Okay? So he is speaking to the theology of the scribes and of the Pharisees here. It doesn't mix. Salvation by grace cannot mix with salvation by works. Melinda. Well, yeah, the, the curse of the fall, the, 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 the sinfulness of our humanity means that we will always gravitate to a works righteous faith. Okay? And we do that when I refuse to forgive and let go of John's sins. You know, forgive me, Lord, but not that dirty rat fink. He's moving away from the congregation. I'll never forgive him for that. Moving to Florida of all places, you know. He's probably got, a, he's probably got a, a house on the Trump compound, if I know him. No, okay. So you're right. We're all tempted to that. And I was just looking at the old cloth, the old wineskin. It's corrupted. It's, it's no longer... Get rid of it. Yeah. Throw it away. Cindy. Well, the old Adam is always works righteous right. in orientation. You, you cannot mix that with the new Adam. You cannot, it does not. It's like oil and water. Is that what you're... Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, I'm, I'm talking about the theology here. Oh, but the theology of the old man is works righteous. Okay. So, so that's kind of like what some cultish churches are doing with, let's make sure that we sort of keep the Old Testament... Sabbath and do some of the Old Testament stuff because God didn't really get rid of it and you know that that whole idea of sort of trying to blend it together can't do it I know I know okay so we'll stop here at verse 17 and uh, it has 
he is talking about the gospel, the new wine of the gospel. And uh, next week, we, or not next week, June 2nd, we'll talk about the ruler uh, who comes to worship Jesus because his daughter has just died. And then the woman with the flow of blood. And this all leads up to the second discourse, okay? Thank you very much.